0: Every writer knows that the best conversations about writing don't happen in classrooms or symposia or any other fancy artisanal setting. They happen at the bar, usually after deadline. That's the vibe we're going for here. This is The Other 51, conversations with writers of all genres about writing. I'm Brian Moritz. Today's guest is Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News. Mike Harrington, welcome to The Other 51. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Dr. Moritz, it is a pleasure to join you, and it is going to be a pleasure to reminisce about what has to rate still as one of the craziest times of my career, and certainly one of the craziest times of yours.
0: Yeah, it was uh, one of the things I was going to ask you about it, uh, on topics is where this ranks for you. In terms of stories. Obviously, I know where it ranks for me. Uh, But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because before we get to any of that stuff, I want to mention, I feel it's important to mention, uh, that you are self-professed as unique among sports writers uh, in the profession. Uh, You've told me this many times in the past, that you don't golf, you don't drink coffee, and you don't like Bruce Springsteen.
1: Well, yeah, I think that does make me unique. I don't say I don't like Springsteen. I think it's more, I'm not... You know, obsessed with Springsteen like most sports writers are. The funny part is when there's a Springsteen concert on the East Coast, and you you go on Twitter and you find how many sports writers are actually in the building <laughs> in some stadium or arena somewhere. And you're like, if the story breaks right now, there's going to be nobody to cover it. They're all at the boss's concert. Um, the obs- the obsession level of Springsteen with sports writers is something really unique for some reason. I have no anti-Springsteen feelings. I'm just kind of. Blah about Springsteen. I'd rather, mm-hmm. frankly, listen to Billy Joel for one. But right. uh, you know, that's just me,
0: right? And I, I'm the I, I'm the same way on him. I, I I have total respect for him, but he's just not doesn't do it for me. Especially the way that he does it. So many of the for our colleagues, but the coffee thing I
1: never understood.
0: Golf, not playing golf, I get, but the coffee thing I never got.
1: Well, I, yeah, and the thing is, you go in every press box, and it's like a requirement. And how many times is my my colleague Jerry Sullivan who? we all love just goes crazy. And sometimes even on Twitter, if there's there to be no coffee in a press box somewhere in the NFL, that drives him insane. When he, some of his rare trips to Sabres practices or morning skates, where's the coffee here? Like, he drinks coffee here, Sully. And he just loses his mind. So, you know, I, I am just able to survive on diet Coke and, and sleeping four or five hours a night when I need to, and I don't need the coffee. Search. So okay, so at
0: least you caffeinate. That's the important thing. There's caffeination. It's just not through coffee. That that that's allowable. Yeah, but
1: there's only yeah, but there's only caffeination during the day. It's not like don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm pounding Diet Coke at nine a.m. either. <laughs> um, you know, just and I've even cut down the caffeination in recent years and switched to a lot more water and such. But you know, I, the, the Diet Coke thing still works for me.
0: Excellent. So um, we're not going to talk too much about your current job writing about the Buffalo Sabres because they're a dumpster dumpster fire. Um, But it's fun. I was going to ask you about that. So the the Sabres have been, I mean, just abysmal for several years now, and they're kind of at peak crap now. Uh, My sister actually spoke to my class recently, um, and she covers them with you for the Buffalo News, and she said that they're on pace to win, have won more games in the tank year than this year.
1: Yeah, it's getting pretty close. Um, It's hard to believe, really. But the the thing I always say to people is I want to cover a Stanley Cup team or I want to cover, you know, a dumpster fire. And right now, for several years, we've had a three or four alarm inferno going here. (laughs) It's been great. I don't want to cover some 81-point team. That's boring. (laughs) There have been a million stories surrounding losing and tanking and, you know, fights about tanking and getting draft picks and guys underachieving and it's been great. It's been great. I have known people say, how do you do this, cover this every day? There's always a story. It's been great.
0: I, I, I was going to say, a lot of times the worse a team is, the better it is. Like is. We've talked about this one covering baseball. There's nothing worse than like, uh, an 80-82 and baseball team. Like that's the, abs- that, that, that's the absolute worst because by the end of the season, what are you writing about there? There's really nothing right. exciting.
1: And people say to me, oh, my God, how do you do this? They're so awful. And I'm like, yeah, you know, right now as we tape this, the Sabres are 17-43. and 43. I look at it, I'm 60-0. I haven't <laughs> lost any games. I've, I'm doing stories every day, whether they win or lose. I'm getting my stories in on deadline. I'm generating reader chatter and social media chatter. I'm 60-0. What's the problem? So if there are
0: any, for any Sabres fans who may be listening to this, uh, is there any hope?
1: there's hope there's always hope uh teams like new jersey and colorado have turned it around quickly the sabers have the different problem of being stuck in a lot of big money contracts um, but you know we don't know what's going to happen with the draft lottery If the sabers win the lottery and get rasmus Stalin next season things change a lot if they don't and they get a top five pick okay they'll get another good player to add to casey mills stat to add to brendan gooley and then let's see what jason botter can do here at the trade deadline and in the offseason Try to rebuild this team. But it's not going to be a quick turnaround, unfortunately, because they're kind of stuck with some of these contracts. But I think Botterell knows what he's doing. I don't know if Phil Housley's the right coach yet because you can't judge Housley this year. Toe Blake wouldn't win with the team he has. So. We'll have to wait and see on that. But there's always hope.
0: Well, and that seems to me the, the the problem from a distance. I don't follow the Sabres super closely other than what you and Amy and John write and post on Twitter. But it seems to me like the expectation was we tank, we get Eichel, now everything's going to be fine right away. And that's, that's not the NBA. You that was don't... the radio station
1: narrative. Yeah, that was and, and the radio station narrative. Yeah, but you know? it, and it's and, not true. No, it's
0: not this isn't the NBA. It's not you get LeBron and he makes you 30 wins better because he's the best player of his generation. It doesn't matter how, you know, hockey's different. So, I don't know.
1: It should have worked, though. Okay. It should have worked. But they they made so many mistakes around Eichel. And the, the tank was really remember to get Connor McDavid. Landed right. up Eichel, who's not as good a player, but is still a star. And they should have been able to build around Eichel and have a good team. And they've made so many mistakes in so many different ways that it's left them in the situation they're in. So all my anti-tanking fervor, you know, I could freely admit it probably should have worked, too. And it's simply at this point it hasn't. Right.
0: So, OK, from one dumpster fire to another, because we won't talk about the current one. We'll talk about a past one. Um, and for, because this is uh, coming up on 15th, the 15th anniversary uh, definitely the biggest story of my career. Uh, where would it, where do you think the uh, the the St. Bonaventure scandal uh, ranks on yours?
1: Well, it's number one on the weirdness scale. <laughs> Nobody could have ever imagined this thing getting as crazy and out of hand as it did. You know, I've been fortunate to do a lot of you know great stories. You know, great World Series, the 04 ALCS between the Yankees and Red Sox, and a lot of great college basketball runs. You know, Bonaventure's 2000 NCA team was a great story. It had been 22 years. Kenish Niagara, 35 years to go to their NCA. So there's been some glory involved in the, the 12 years they did college basketball, too. But this thing was just off-the-chart weirdness. And we can get into it here, but the one point I want to use as the big backdrop to all of it, Brian, is think of this. Can you imagine in 2003 when everything broke with St. Bonaventure? If Twitter existed, how insane things would have gotten and and, more so than they even did. Right.
0: And we'll we'll get to that because I I, I think on that often when I think back on that story and how, you know, I it's funny because it's one of the things I hear when I talk to beat writers now. Like, I thought I was pretty, pretty busy back then. And I was pretty busy. I don't know what I did when I because I wasn't we weren't tweeting. We weren't really live updating for the Web Uh, so much. It was really kind of like the last big print story of kind of probably both of our careers um but let let, let's back up a little bit because there are some people who probably it's 15 years that this has happened because good christ we're old all of a sudden um so
1: you are not me oh that's
0: okay um so let's uh so if you could uh uh, what was kind of the overview of the scandal for people
1: who maybe don't remember it or don't know about it well it's actually pretty simple and we're coming up on 15 years it's February 26th is when it all started. That GW the Bonneys, game, yep. Yep, the Bonneys got killed the previous year by Richmond when John Beeline was the coach. And they got killed in the Atlantic 10 tournament because they really had no one inside. And Richmond, I think, hit like 78% from two-point range in the game and eliminated Van Bredekoff's team, which other than missing that guy in the middle was probably the NCAA team. So Van Bredekoff, Jan Van Bredekoff, the former NBA guy and the Pepperdine coach who was brought to Bonaventure, went out and got a recruit from a junior college in Georgia named Jamil Terrell, a long arm six foot seven shot blocker kid. And they brought him to Bonaventure to play in the middle and really fill that hole. Um, Jamil Terrell had a degree in welding. Nope. And I always thought that was a, okay. well, I, I'm getting, but I'm getting yep. to that point. Gotcha. I always thought it was unusual to my knowledge that he had a degree in welding from a junior college, but you know, He was admitted, Bonaventure admitted, okay, I guess everything was on the up and up. So you fast forward through the season, and Terrell was up and down, had a couple great games, and he filled the role. And we get to the night of February 26 against George Washington, and I remember you and I sitting there, and Terrell is in street clothes as the game is, the warm-up is being held. And we didn't know exactly what was going on, and then Bonaventure, right before tip-off, hands us a sheet of paper with a one-page statement, saying, Jamil Terrell is being held out of tonight's game while we – Something to do with, while well, we check an issue regarding re- his NCAA eligibility.
0: I remember the wording specifically. A question has arisen about the El- Jamil Terrell's eligibility. I remember that phrasing right. distinctly.
1: All right. Well, here is where it started. Immediately, of course, you're the competition at that, but I'm not saying anything to you about this. If you're saying, thinking things, you're not <laughs> saying anything to me about this. You know, this is how it went for like a month here. Um, I immediately said, this has got to be something to do with the welding degree. Right. There's got to be something wrong with the welding degree. So, it goes on. All of a sudden, he's ruled ineligible. You know. And then what happened was, we started kicking each other's ass here. <laughs> you went to Philly to cover the bonnies, You got Linda Bruno, the Atlantic 10 commissioner. She's furious. You're realizing they're in trouble. He's going to be ineligible. I write a story about how they're going to forfeit all their games, but it was basically Linda Bruno's quotes that you got because we weren't in Philadelphia and it just starts going from there. You get the assistant coach from the junior college. Um, Then I, I write a story about the welding thing and the reason why he's in trouble is it's not a welding degree. And this is my biggest regret is I looked up the website of the junior college and it was a certificate in welding. He didn't have an associate's degree. So there were mistakes made on the journalism end of this thing, and I made a couple more in the upcoming days. But the one mistake I made was I never looked. I could have six months earlier written this kid didn't have an associate's degree. I never looked it up.
0: I have thought that same – sorry, I just cut you off. I have thought the same thing so many times, and I remember specifically when he signed – asking Van because I you know like you I had heard that he had his degree in welding and I thought that was weird and I asked uh, Van about that and he gave me like some like you know he's been cleared blah 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 answer I forget what he said and I remember I actually had it in a draft of my story and I took it out thinking what this is going to open up this kid to mockery I don't know what Joe Shepard majored in in junior college or any of this if he's eligible it's not relevant go on from that but yeah it could have you know had we had any inkling that there was maybe we should have but you know w- w- absence of that knowledge yeah but i've often thought that same thing
1: yeah I, I i looked it up on the website and saw it was a certificate program and not an associate's degree and i vividly remember saying to myself they are screwed mm-hmm. this kid has been ineligible all year they are gonna get the book thrown at them now We see a lot of different things, you know, Syracuse and North Carolina, and the big schools don't get the book thrown at them. You're thinking to yourself, this is St. Bonaventure. And they're not going to get any breaks from St. Bonaventure from the Atlantic 10. It's always been kind of the trip out in the hinterlands. And Van Braddikoff wasn't a a touchy-feely kind of (laughs) happy-go-lucky guy, so they're not going to be giving him any breaks. And uh, let's be honest here, the Atlantic 10 does care about academics, and St. Bonaventure does care about academics. It looks dumb that you have a basketball player with a welding certificate on your team. Right. I mean, come on. So they rule them ineligible. You know, everything starts flying. They're going to forfeit all their games. You know, you're on the road with the team. I'm trying to cover the MAC tournament, too. I'm trying to fly from Buffalo to Baltimore to get to a game in Trenton. You know, in the middle of the night, after doing a Sunday story, I get Robert Wickenheiser, the president, on the phone. He's out on a conference in Los Angeles. Okay, I want to get the president's comments. And the backstory, again, for people to understand, is who is one of the assistant coaches on this team? One of the assistant coaches was Court Wickenheiser, the son of university president Robert Wickenheiser. The president's son was involved in the recruitment of this kid. I mean, this was a sordid, dirty tale. And Robert Wickenheiser, on the phone, I will never forget it, from Los Angeles, starts crying on the phone. I'm not talking, sniffling, holding back his words, catching a breath. I'm talking bawling to me on the phone. Please, please, I was just trying to do what was right. I just wanted to help the school. I'm trying to do everything for the school. We may have made mistakes. Please understand. He's crying on the phone. And this was another sign that this is a real problem. And this is a mess that's going to really go bad. And Wickenheiser and Gothard Lane, the athletic director, and Jan Van Bredeckoff, eventually, they were all gone. The next, the next week, Wickenheiser and Gothard Lane were put on leave. Van Bredeckoff was still hanging. The players are supposed to get on a bus and go to UMass. UMass, yeah. And this was after the game. They got back from Philly from Temple. And the thing blew up when the players didn't get on the bus. And here's where the journalism failed. You talk about in your life, in your career, you make mistakes and you learn from them okay, if this story is going now, we're on it every second of the day. We're breathing this story. We're on social media. We're everywhere because we're following it. One of the problems we had was I had to do stuff for the Mac tournament, for Niagara and Canisius. There were advances to write previews. And the Bonneys are getting on the bus. We should have gone down to Olean, But Howard Smith, the sports head at the time, needed to keep me on my other duties. It was just Bonaventure, some stupid little welding thing. They sent a news writer down to Olean just to get the feel of the campus. Well, I didn't like that, but they didn't want to pay me to go down there that day. And they sent this news writer knew nothing about basketball. Uh, John Laurel from the AP was there. Mm -hmm. You were obviously there. And the Buffalo News wasn't there. And I should have pushed harder, but I didn't want to drive three hours round trip for nothing either just to get a couple quotes. I had other work to do. I would have been there if it had been at UB, five minutes from my house. So we didn't go. But who would have anticipated what happens next? The players refuse to get on the bus. They refuse to play the game. Gary Neese, the radio guy, takes his gear off the bus. Mm -hmm. So this, this woman the news sent, who was a young, experienced reporter, calls me up frantic. They're not going on the bus. They say they're not going on the bus. What does this mean? I don't cover basketball. And I'm trying to say to her, okay, Holly, this is not about basketball. What's going on? And she's explaining they're not getting on the bus. I'm like, they have to be getting on the bus. They're going to UMass. So they're not getting on the bus. Now, this is when, if we had Twitter, I'd be following you on Twitter and John Warro on Twitter, and I'd know what was going on. Well, we learned they're not getting on the bus, so they don't go and play. So now, they don't go to that game. They, they canceled the last game at home against Dayton. Everybody started with the Atlantic 10 throwing them out of the league, and now the scandal is sky high when they didn't get on that bus. That's what took it to me from a weird little story in Olean to a national story. No players boycott games and refuse to get on the bus. Right.
0: It was, well, what was crazy about that for me, too, that time period is, so I'm in, and we'll get into how social media plays in this, too, so I'm in the office late that Monday. The Monday was the day that they announced that uh, they were forfeiting all of their league games at this point, because they didn't do all the games, and then they were, for, they were not going to the A-10 tournament. Like, the A-10 was banning them from postseason play that year. And in hindsight... was shocking. That was shocking, and that was what led to the boycott. The boycott was because they, the, the players felt that they were being punished for what Wickenheiser did. Um, and so I'm in the office trying to put together this massive story. And I had talked to the, the coach at, at the junior college. And I had him on the record saying they knew, ex- Bonaventure knew exactly what they were getting here. There was no deception. There was no pretense. They knew they were getting a kid. Uh, I, and he even said, I asked him, can you is he going to be eligible? And he said, yes. So I had that story. Great. I'm waiting to hear back from Wickenheiser, the president, also in California. At the same time, Monday night, I start hearing that players are leaving. So it's not just because it was spring break on campus. So there are no student bodies gone except for athletes and, you know, you know right. and, uh, people. And I start hearing that players are leaving campus. And I start making calls. And sure enough, like all the guys who were from D.C. on the team, they're gone. Like they just got in the car and left. Um, and I remember distinctly. Uh, I was in my apartment, uh, t- t- like, getting stuff to get- take back to the office, and I had on the Empire Sports Network, and they had a story, they had a reporter there, and, I- and they said something, the reporter said something along the lines of, the players are having a players meeting right now. They're meeting amongst themselves right now. And I immediately flashed to an interview from when Bobby Knight got fired at Indiana, and they asked, are you guys going to play? And the player from Indiana said, I don't know. And my instant thought was when I heard their player meeting, I'm like, shit, they're boycotting. They are not. They're, they're voting right. whether to play the two games. Go to campus, can't find anything out. Go, go back to the office, start talking to people. Realize they're gone. Talk to parents, like players are just leaving, and so that's why I, at that time I go go to the uh, the arena the next morning, and Waro's, John Warro's there, and like I know half the team's gone. So now it's just a matter of like it's all set up for practice. Now it's a matter of well, I, do they have enough players still here to field a team? Like it, it was a whole lot of. Players were sneaking through the the arena away from us. It was like the one stakeout moment I ever had in my career. But what was really what's well, really
1: well too is that they they understood I think why they were going to have to forfeit the Atlantic 10 conference games, but they felt we should still be able to go to the tournament. If we win the tournament, go to the NCAA tournament. And they right. really felt that that was where they were wrong. Absolutely. And,
0: and, and, looking back on that and we can get into like the, the whole social media discussion right now, it's mind boggling to me to look back on that. Cause the only in Times Herald's is an afternoon paper. So we publish, you know, we go to press around 10 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, um, hit the state, hit the streets around noon. People are reading that, the, get the paper when they get home from work. And I I just find it funny that what I'm reporting and learning on Monday night is not published until Wednesday in that story about the, you know, explaining the player boycott. When, as you, as you said, you know, if this happens now, I hear that on Monday night, the story is broken right then. I'm breaking, you know, it's not, we're not even waiting to Tuesday morning. I'm saying five, you know. Maurice Young and the players from what and Cortez Sutton and all the guys from D.C. They've gone home. They're gone. I don't know what's happening next, but players are actively leaving campus. And it's just such I haven't thought
1: about Maurice Young and Cortez Sutton in
0: 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's great. It's it's crazy to think about like how accelerated reporting is now compared to what it was back then. And, you know, back then. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. The goal was like that story I have, like that story Tuesday afternoon that had the, the comprehensive thing about the scandal and the, and the Gerald Cox quotes, the quote coach from the junior college and my interview with Wickenheiser and all that, like that was the goal. Now I talk to the coach. I'm immediately tweeting out what he said. That's breaking the story. It's so interesting how that's changed.
1: Well, and you imagine the same thing, you know, I'd be looking at Twitter wanting to kick your ass. Right. You'd be looking at Twitter making sure you're trying to kick my ass. When I got Wickenheiser on the phone in California, you know, I'd be tweeting that out. You know, I tell this story all the time that, you know, Peter King once told a story about how he had a scoop about Brett Favre being addicted to Vicodin
2: mm-hmm. and
1: he sat on the scoop for eight days. And he's told this story to journalism classes. He sat on it in the late '90s for eight days. He knew Brett, Brett Favre was going into rehab. Well, now he'd be tweeting it out almost instantly. He'd be doing a blog for SI.com almost instantly, and then he'd be writing his story. You can't hold a scoop for eight minutes nowadays. Right. I mean, imagine holding something like that for eight days. Well, here's a situation where you know you've got an interview with Gerald Cox, a junior college coach. You sat on it. I've got an interview with Bob Wickenheiser on the phone from L.A. crying on the phone. Well, that didn't appear in the newspaper until Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. You know, it was in the Tuesday morning newspaper, which went online back in 2003 at, I think, 9 a.m. 9 a.m., yep. Well, I talked to him at 4 or 5 o'clock on Monday afternoon. Right. And that interview went nowhere. There was no blog to put up. There was nothing to tweet out. It was literally in my tape recorder off my phone for hours before the world heard about it. I mean, imagine now, I get Bob Wickenheiser, the president of the embattled school, on the phone. He's crying on the telephone to me. I might even be my laptop tweeting out, I'm on the phone right now with Bob Wickenheiser, and he's crying.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: At the instant, at the instant I'm having the conversation. And it would completely change the narrative. Imagine if I tweeted, I'm on the phone with the president. He's crying right now. How many retweets, how many chatters? and pieces of social media that that would engender. ESPN would probably retweet that. Right. You know, because at the time, what freaked you and I both out, and we talked about this at the time, was that Andy Katz from ESPN got involved. Yep. And and Andy Katz is emailing me, and he's emailing you, and that's how we knew this is getting really out of hand here, that ESPN is jumping on this story. And the New York Times was jumping on this story. You know, Mm -hmm. I felt like... uh, I felt like Bernstein, and you know, and all the President's Men, or Dustin Hoffman's in the famous scene. You're like, goddamn New York Times. You know?
0: <laughs> when they—that's—I actually said that line when they had the letter from the players, that weird letter from the pl- unsigned letter from the players. I actually said the words, "Goddamn New York Times," just like Bernstein. Right. But just like Bernstein. But, but yeah, it, and, what's, and it
1: all started mushrooming, and it, yep. it got really big for 2003. But just imagine
2: what it would be like.
0: Well and, and what's crazy when you think about it now is the players were really silent. like none of the players were talking to me you. they weren't talking to me. Um, and like no. Marcus Green, who I covered literally every game he played in, you know talked to, was talking to him in high school. I covered him more than any player refu- wouldn't talk to me. Um, and they, mm. the, the one thing they had there that this weird letter to the New York Times that they submitted, but then pulled back I don't know it was a weird thing. but then Joe Shepard called up Sports Center to talk to them and what's really what's really funny about this i've never admitted it publicly i miss that because that was like wednesday at like the 6 six thirty sports center and i had been basically awake for three days in a row working this story and like the boycott was done the sanctions had been done like the story finally like hit a plateau hit a crest where like okay i think i can go home and actually sleep for a little bit and i went home and i crashed right. and i woke up and goddamn joe Shepard had gone on sports center to mouth to not mouth off to like give the to kind of give the player's side of it um but you look at that now and like they'd be tweeting all all about it like they would they would probably right. be tweeting that you know f this we're
1: leaving or something like that they wouldn't be quiet about they'd be it on their instagrams they'd mm-hmm. be on their twitter feeds and you'd be quoting that wildly you'd be probably you know i don't Interact with athletes on Twitter. In this case, in an emergency, I probably would have started messaging them mm-hmm. further. Somebody would have talked to me at some point. Um, somebody would have talked to you at some point via that route instead of face to face, so not seeing talking to you. But the Joe Shepherd thing—I remember—I was sitting at my kitchen table. I put on SportsCenter just to see what they were saying. You know, I thought mm-hmm. they'd have cursory items. You know, I would get mad when their bottom line said. Blah 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 blah. The Olean Times Herald report. Oh no, we had that. What the hell is wrong <laughs> with ESPN? You know, so I'd be checking the bottom line. Um, but all of a sudden, it was—I uh, want to say—it wasn't Kenny Maine Was it Van Pelt? Right. It might have it was, been. I thought it was Van Pelt, but I could was, be wrong on that. It was Scott. It was Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, it was Scott Van Pelt. And he's like, we're going to go now to Joe Shepard on the phone. And they put the Bonnie's logo up. And I'm like, Joe Shepard on the phone. And I've lost my mind. I'm running, scrambling to get a tape recorder. Right. I, you know, a TV not connected to a DVR. I'm scrambling to get my tape recorder. You know, I got a, I got a three-year-old at the time telling everybody, shut up. Everybody shut up. You know, mm. and no one knows I'm I'm losing my mind. My wife and my kid are looking at like i got three heads, which isn't abnormal anyway, but, <laughs> you know. And here's Joe Shepard on SportsCenter. And I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? There's no way this is authorized. There's no way you should be doing this. And he didn't say anything real inflammatory, but he just basically said, you know, what well, was the Gary Templeton line? If I ain't starting, I ain't departing. Right. You know, basically, he, he, Joe Shepard said, you know, we've been forgotten about. And the players had been forgotten about, and we're right. not going in.
0: Right, yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and that was just that in, that. It's so funny to think about how insane for us in 2003 that story was. And so here's a question for you. If something happened like that now, not not given what happened, but do you think that it would be... Like as scandalous as it, as it was, then you think it'd be more scandalous, like not just, you know, it, it was such a confluence of stuff, right? It was the ineligible player, but he's not just ineligible. He's got a welding certificate, which unfortunately for Jamil Terrell opened him up to all sorts of mockery that he didn't deserve. He had he did nothing wrong on this. And he's a really, really good kid. Um, so what do you? And then the boycott. So if this happens now, what's what's the national talking point about this? Is it the boycott? Is it the welding? Like, what's Deadspin writing about? Like, how how big does this get nationally if this happens now?
1: Well, yeah, ESPN goes crazy. Jim Rome started calling him Saint Bungle Venture, mm-hmm. you know, which I thought was pretty funny. But it gets big now. The welding thing is still bizarre. The fact the players boycott is still bizarre. Um, the fact the president and the athletic director got fired, and the coach eventually got fired. It was a name coach, and the the president's son is an assistant coach. It's still bizarre. Fifteen years later, the only thing that happens is it gets very accelerated quickly due to social media. Mm-hmm. More people are are researching it. Deadspin is doing stuff on it. Um, ESPN is doing more on it than they even did. Um, I think the timing of it, we'd have been on it 24-7, and I, I regret some of the ways the Buffalo News handled it. I think we did the old, well, at St. Bonaventure, they're down there, the hell with them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we shouldn't have done that in the start. We got on it eventually and got some great stuff, but we were slow because I'm at St. Bonaventure, and i got to go to Niagara-Canada's tournament in Trenton this weekend. Right. I mean, so I think the, the 24-7 nature of news would have meant you never got off of it. I mean, look, again, Brian – They didn't, they told me you're not going to Olean this morning, and they sent a news writer who had no no knowledge of basketball whatsoever to quote unquote cover the situation in Olean. Mm -hmm. Now, I should have been fighting the boss about that. I should have been F bombing him to the end of time. (laughs) Are you crazy? This is my story. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it it was dumb. It was dumb I wasn't more adamant than I'm going down there. It was dumb that they weren't more adamant. You are going down there. Right there wasn't that pressure involved because of social media. The only other person covering the story at the time was you. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, he's got stuff, but of course he's going to get stuff. He's traveling with the team all the time, and he's an Olean. So if he gets stuff this afternoon, we'll get stuff too. And they didn't grasp how big everything was going to get.
0: Right. One of the funniest things as I look back on that story is the morning of the boycott. So the Tuesday morning that they were supposed to get on the bus, and I I go there, I... I had to put I had to, I had to do a pagination shift that morning I had to go in at like oh, 6 a.m God. do the Agate luckily you know everyone was understanding they're like just do the you know do the scoreboard page do the Agate page and then get out of there and head over to the RCE but yeah I before I go and, and continue to break the biggest story of my career I had to do the the, the scoreboard page in the morning. <laughs> Make sure you had all the bowling scores. Right? Oh, no question. You don't mess with the bowling scores, man. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, you know, uh, I mean, that's the thing, though, is we were both kind of doing other things mm-hmm. instead of spending 24 7 on this story. And I think part of that was the nature of journalism at the time. It was still a little slower moving, even though we were in the 2000s. The other right. thing is, I don't think either one of us, we covered Bonaventure. I'd covered Bonaventure at this point for 11 years. You had been on it for four. Four? Yeah alright, it's Bonaventure. We do it as a living. We do it every day. You just didn't think something involving Bonaventure would become this national tale.
0: Well, yeah, and it's amazing, like you said, how quickly on like, we knew, like you like you said, we both had the same thought when we got that piece of paper from Bonaventure that morning. Like, oh, it's Terrell. It's the world. It's no question in either one of our minds yet. Yeah, we didn't say it, but we both know right away exactly what the story is and what's happening here. But you don't expect you know, maybe you expect he's ineligible. Maybe they forfeit. But then the postseason ban, then the, then that it, that's kind of cataclysmic. And then all of a sudden, right. you know, players start leaving, and it's spring break. And because you know, and that would be an, an interesting thing I've thought about too. If we if this happens in social media, and if Monday night nine o'clock I tweet out. Just learned, you know, half the team has left. Mike Gansy's on his way back to Cleveland with Solas Dumblowski, another name you haven't thought of in fifteen years. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> all the guys are going home, you know, the D C guys are gone. There's only a few guys left on campus. I don't they don't I don't know if they're gonna play tomorrow. Well does that now all of a sudden guys bonaventure people aren't getting to campus at 9 a.m or 8 a.m on that day and hearing guys have left what do you mean guys have left they've left they would know that by now so would they be right would there have been uh i don't know would that have changed would they have avoided a boycott would they or would it have gotten worse i don't know it's just fascinating to think about
1: with with the well um, the media would have greeted the media would have greeted people and stalked out D.C. to find the guys in D.C. Were they at the train station or the airport? People would have stalked Mike Gancey's home in Cleveland. I mean, pe- these guys got out of Olean and got home before anybody knew they'd even left.
2: Right. So,
1: so there was no way to stalk them out and greet them in Cleveland or greet them in D.C. and say, what up, guys? Yeah. What's going on here? They were already gone. Right. You know. Hey, yeah. and, and you're right. If you would tweet it out immediately at campus well, they've already left, people would have started following their trek home.
0: Right, exactly. Fascinating, fascinating to think about. I can't believe it's been 15 years. That's stunning. Um, we're old. Know. Well, I'm old, you know, and, apparently. And there
1: is, you know, and I, I think we, you know, it was a funny thing, a weird thing, but let's not forget here. People lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, people's careers were ruined. Bob Brickenheiser's career, career was ruined. Gothard Lane, the athletic director. Oh, my God, His yeah. career was ruined. Yep, And he, not... And not undeserved, because Gothard Lane, the athletic director, remember, had told the school this player was ineligible, and they went over his head. Right. And I never felt Gothard Lane deserved to have his career ruined, because he told them this is wrong. Right. You know, but they didn't listen. And, you know, the board of trustees got involved, and they kind of claimed they, you know, understand what the board of trustees does. They deferred it back to Bob Wickenheiser, because he was the president. Right. And you know and then what happens in august the chairman of the board of trustees william swan commits suicide mm-hmm. and you know and he was embarrassed by what happened to his beloved school he was the brown indian mascot in 1970 mm-hmm. and he took a lot of flack from alums in a apparently in a hospitality tent at the pga tournament in rochester and i got a call in the bison's press box in august that you know, Bill Swan had taken his own life and Jerry Sullivan and I were very hostile toward Bill Swan at a famous press conference in May about why didn't you intervene when you were asked and Bill Swan took his own life. So as weird as the story is, people's lives were ruined here, you know, almost unnecessarily a basketball thing would ruin people's lives, but that's something, you know, the two things I've always remembered is that how unfortunate it was that people's lives were ruined. And the one thing, the one the most important thing of this entire scandal, Brian, we left out here and discussed. You missed it. I missed it. And I'm going to bring it up right now. All right. The Atlantic 10, the Atlantic 10 conference, for people who didn't know, had a coach's conference call every Monday morning.
0: Oh, my God. I, how years, did I not bring this
1: up? Come on. For years, you know where I'm going. For, <laughs> for years and years, we'd be on it every morning, Monday morning, and we'd revel in John Cheney's tales, and we'd talk to Jim Barron, and... Whoever else, Jim Herrick, when he was at Rhode Island, Martelli, Martelli at yeah. St. Joe's, he loved the Monday morning conference call. Well, on this particular Monday, Jan Van Bredeckop did his normal conference call, which was shocking to both of us, I think. He mm-hmm. didn't dodge it. He was there. So I, of course, you know, I like going for the jugular. <laughs> you know, I simply asked a very simple question. I said, Jan, did you enlist the help of the university president to admit Jamil Terrell. Mm-hmm. That's the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Did you get the president to override the athletic department and the compliance people in athletic director to admit this kid with a welding certificate? And then Bredeckop wouldn't answer the question. He hemmed and hawed. And I said again, Jan, did you enlist the help of the university president to admit Jamil Terrell?
0: And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And meanwhile, I'd just like to say that as I'm sitting at my desk and only i listening to you say this, the th- the comic book thought bubble above my head is fuck, 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 fuck. He's got this. Fuck. He's got it.
1: And, I- <laughs> you know, so he doesn't answer again. So I say to him a third time, that's a yes or no question. Mm-hmm. Did you admit, enlist the help of the university president to admit Shamil Terrell? Well, I find out later that Rachel, our beloved former Atlantic Pan assistant commissioner who was the moderator of this call every week from mm-hmm. years and years, the operator had cut me off because the rules in this call were they didn't want people being hostile to coaches. So the operator basically had carte blanche. If a caller was getting a little hostile, there was a situation they could cut the caller off.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the call the, the operator cut me off and I could hear the phone click I was still on the call, but I was basically in mute mode. I couldn't talk right. Well, I found out later that week that Rachella, God bless him, got on the horn on the other line with the operator, the line that we couldn't hear in the call, and told her to put me back on <laughs> the call not to cut me off because this was a legitimate line of inquiry. Mm-hmm. I think that was another sign the Atlantic. The Atlantic Ten wanted St. Bonaventure to give some answers right. So they put me back on the call, and Van Bredekoff never really made an answer. I asked like three or four times, and we moved on because we had no choice. Mm-hmm. But that, to me, also said volumes because he wouldn't answer the question. He right. wouldn't discuss Jamil Terrell's credentials, Credentials, and the reason he wouldn't was because he knew he was screwed. Right. He knew we had it. He knew that, the, that this thing was going to get way bigger than anybody thought. And that was really, as you think about, there's seminal moments in this entire situation. You know, you know, you you talking to Gerald Cox, the bus, the guy's not getting on the bus, Joe Shepard on SportsCenter, you know, Bill Swan's press conference, which I think was in May. Another seminal moment was the Lag 10 conference call when Jan Van Bredekoff simply wouldn't answer the question if he enlisted the help of the university president to help the university president's son, Recruit Jameel Terrell onto this team.
0: Ah, good times. Good times.
1: And here's the other thing, too. Why did the players freak out about the Atlantic 10 tournament? Other than the fact they wanted to compete in the tournament. They freaked out because, I believe to this day, they were a dangerous team.
2: Absolutely they were. They were a great
1: team. They weren't a great team. They didn't defend well. but They could score. Mm-hmm. There was nothing to say they couldn't have run through three days of the Atlantic Ten tournament, right. won the bid, and gone to NCA. Which is, and part I of... think, that's another reason why the league banned them. That, the league didn't want them representing them because they knew they could win the thing.
0: Well, that's what I. That's what I've heard, heard throughout was that they wanted that there was a push to ban them from postseason for that very reason. You know, you have Marcus Green, Mike Ganzi. You got a pretty good offensive team. They get hot. They can make a run, and all of a sudden, now you're. Your team, you know, you're, you're facing a potential team that's going to get disqualified from the NCAA tournament or banned or whatever. Um, but right. also, there's also, um, we should wrap this up soon, but there's so many storylines. The whole, that the, the Dayton was supposed to, the, the final regular season game that wasn't played was a home game against Dayton. And Dayton, from what I've heard all along, had had been pushing the A10 to move the game either to Dayton or to a neutral site for quote security concerns after after this whole thing uh, blew up, and it was. It, I mean it was a transparent ploy that they were trying to get out of playing a game in Oleangs. They were fighting for Xavier for first place, so this was right. th- this was not a but, but that was just another kind of level to that whole decision Monday to, to ban them from the from postseason.
1: Yeah, security concerns. Yeah. Give me a break. They yeah, didn't right. want to go. They they were trying to pull their Jim Bayheim and not go to the rival <laughs> center. I mean, that was that was pretty that was pretty laughable, you know. Right. And I didn't really respect Dayton for doing that at the time, you know. It's a fellow school in your conference that's in trouble and you're basically kicking them while they're down. Right. You know. So I understood that too, but it, it just you know. It was a dangerous team that could have won, mm-hmm. and Jamil Terrell was a missing piece, and he had some really good games that season. He wasn't a great player, but right. there were games that year where he, he made a difference, and if they got hot, imagine, they forfeit all their Atlantic 10, tournament, uh, Atlantic 10 regular season games. They go to the tournament and win. They go to the NCAA tournament. Everyone has exposed this kid as a welder. Imagine the national media pouncing on this team at the NCAA tournament. The Atlantic 10 doesn't want that. Right. The NCAA doesn't want that. That's why they had to be banned. Mm-hmm. Normally, these things happen. You get banned. You get put on probation. You get banned the following year. You don't get banned from your conference tournament two weeks before the thing starts. Right. That never happens. That never happens. It's right. always in the future. Right. You know, it, so the instantaneous nature of this thing was another facet of it that was really weird. Yeah. It was but like they got instant probation before they were even on probation, right? And it's funny. Like I
0: went back and looked last year. I did a thing for my blog where I looked at the best uh, best careers and seasons I covered. And Jamil Terrell had, uh, he had like, Two or three win shares that year on a 13 win team. So he was even if you look at his stats and you think he had like averaged like six and five or something like that. It was not off the board charts, but he did a lot of things well. He was a lot. It's funny you look back like, oh, well, he was pretty good for, you know, he's a lot better than you thought he was, or maybe maybe expect, maybe you know, in, in memory that he is. So
1: yeah, and he didn't need to. He he was able to score, but he didn't need to come in and score because like you right. said, they had Mark Green. They had Gansy. They had other guys to score. He needed to fill the middle, you know, change a few shots, block a few shots, get a mm-hmm. few rebounds, and he was doing that. And he was doing that in the league. He had a great game. I remember in December against Toledo, an all-around right. offensive game, which was the first time I first time I actually talked to him. Um, but you know, that was the thing is, is that that was a dangerous team, and all of a sudden the exodus of transfers, the program became two and twenty-six, and they didn't win any games and until that point. They had played a good schedule with Andrade Koff. They had won some games. They had a chance to go to the NCAA tournament that year. They would have had to put together a run, but it wasn't ridiculous to think it could happen, and it was all taken away.
0: Right. It's amazing to think, too, how lose, how the scandal leading Mike Ganzi to transfer. I mean, that was a, that was the, dev, the devastating blow to the program. More than probation, more than hiring Anthony Solomon, I think it was you lose a guy of Ganzi's caliber and skill, and now you're really building at nothing. And here's a guy
1: who ended up, Playing in the final eight for West mm-hmm. Virginia, getting yep. away from the final four. Who's now an uh, assistant general manager for the Cleveland Cavaliers? <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, they had a kid from Cleveland who came to St. Bonaventure, who ended up in the Elite Eight. Yep. Now, if he had stayed at St. Bonaventure, he probably becomes one of the all-time greats of St. Bonaventure. And he was beloved. He was
0: and he was beloved when he right. the two years he was there. So.
1: You know, but, they lost yeah. their recruits. They had a guy from Indianapolis, Dan Cage, who ended up going to Vanderbilt. And if a guy goes to Vanderbilt, you could figure out he probably would have been a good player at St. Bonaventure. So it had all these tentacles of things that had damaged the university on.
0: Yeah. So, we're kind of moving away from that, what's the best thing you've
1: read lately? Oh, boy. You know, it's one of my real issues about being in the middle of the vortex of hockey season Mm -hmm. all you're reading is hockey stories okay you know know, there there are times i'd like to sit down and read a book you know and i I can't sit down and read a book because every night you're reading hockey stories from around the nhl um Mm -hmm. and it's a negative in life the way you practice journalism now where you literally can't read a book you know um, you're always reading somebody else's feature about something or the latest trade rumors. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times I'm just reading my own newspaper and our stories. And I can't even tell you the last great non-sports thing or something, you know, I've read, I mean, I've read a lot of stories recently, but again, a newspaper story about, you know, the shooting, the shooting in Parkland, you know, and the aftermath of that. And, you know, I don't want to get, when I read these things, I don't want to get into the political gun control thing. I'm reading just about, the incident you know I have a senior in high school with my son, so the idea that somebody can go in and shoot up a school and all the heroism involved just in the actual incident it 's really just a, a shocking time so i 've really been following that whole incident more than anything else of, of
0: recent note any any stories either of that or hockey that have really stood out to you
1: well i've read you know there's been accounts uh <sighs> and I think it was, in, it was in the Palm Beach post or the Sun Sentinel about the assistant football coach, about Aaron Feist, who was was killed in the shooting because my son played high school football, you know, and you're thinking you're, you're equating this incident to his school. And, you know, the assistant football coach works as a security guard and jumps in front of the shooter as he enters the building. I mean, just, uh, just a horrifying thing to ponder and think about, um, you know, those kind of things, you know, there's the, the human element, all this is so strong and the interesting thing to me is how we've had all these shootings before and for whatever reason we've gotten too immune to it this one for some reason has struck a chord and i'm still trying to figure out why why is this one struck the chord that sandy hook didn't even if sandy hook was more students and was little kids in a primary school this one has struck a chord You know, maybe it's because Donald Trump's the president now and there's all the connection to the NRA, but these kids aren't letting this one go away and nor should they, you know? And that's what to me is the overriding story with this situation is how, you know, we're not just moving on to the next one, which we kind of did in Las Vegas to some degree. And I was in Las Vegas three weeks later. We don't hear about the Las Vegas thing anyway. I was 58 dead, you know, but this one's not, this one's not going away. And I'm thinking this might be the seminal no more moment here in terms of mass shootings in the country. And that's a story that's going to get written and you're seeing already piecemeal. And it's really unique to follow this along as it's going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, if people want to follow you along and, and see what the doings with the Sabres and the Buffalo Bisons and the Blue Jays and all that stuff, where's the best place to do that?
1: Buffalonews.com is our all-encompassing website. And do not hit me with newspapers or dying. Newspapers are evolving. Newspapers are evolving. We had the most web views in our history in the month of January this year. You know, I think the number was over 34 million page views in the month of January. You know, the Bills made the playoffs. Sabres were in the Winter Classic. That helps. You know, newspapers are just evolving. People read us on. More people read my stuff now than ever, Brian. Mm -hmm. They just read it on their phone, on their iPad, in all different ways. And then Twitter, you know, by M. Harrington, you know the rules. Other <laughs> people don't know the rules. So Do what are the rules? Do not swear at me oh, on Twitter. Okay. Do not swear at me on Twitter. That's the rule. Okay. That's all. It's amazing how many people will drop bombs on you on Twitter, and then they'll have their their bio: Joe Jones, um, accountant, this company, or you know, firefighter, this town. Like your employers really, you know, love my wife and four kids. Your wife and four kids and employers approve of this kind of language on social media, really? You know, so it's always been interesting to me, but I have multiple conversations with multiple people all the time. But you're gone if you drop a bomb on me. It's real simple. Why would you do that? People do it all the time. Imagine how many bombs I would have
2: gotten in 2003 Oh, down. oh dear.
0: Oh, oh, dear God. Oh, my gosh. I can't even I, <laughs> I, I I still to this day can't even imagine trying to cover that story with Twitter. Like it'd be good on one hand, because like you said, you're publishing it. But oh, my God, the, the 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 trying to keep up with it would just have been and that doesn't even just trying to keep up with the news, not even dealing with alums, you know, alumni sending you questions or, or or sending you tweets or, you know, DMing you or tagging you and
1: stuff. I ugh. Well, and keep in mind, as this was going on, you're a Bonaventure grad. Uh-huh. Okay. You're going to get stuff. How are you taking down your alma mater? Why are you doing this? I'm a Canisius grad. Uh-huh. Imagine what people would have said to me.
2: Mm-hmm. You're just
1: looking to screw St. Bonaventure because you're a – it just would have been – the level of ugliness would have been off the chart.
2: It would have
0: been. So thank God
1: we didn't have that. So –
0: Mike, this has been a lot of fun going down memory lane. Appreciate you uh, taking the time today.
1: Hey, anytime, Brian. I really appreciate it. It was a a crazy time, and it's always wild to look back and think about it. And it it is a great lesson in journalism.
0: As always, thanks for listening to The Other 51. You can find show notes for this episode and all our episodes at sportsmediaguy.com on the Other 51 tab. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I can highly recommend Overcast for this. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz.